The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Welcome, welcome to the Grove Church Snohomish. You happy to be here today? All right, let's try that one more time. We're still warming up. Are you happy to be here today? All right. Unfortunately, I do see someone wearing a Saints jersey and he is my friend. I don't know why. But if you want to razz him afterwards, he's sitting right over in this area, right over here. Um, But hey, we're so glad that you're here today. My name's Andrew, and my wife Amanda and I are the campus pastors here. And we are so thrilled that you're here on a Sunday here at the Grove Church. And if you are new with us, we just want to say a huge welcome to you. We're so glad that you're checking out the church. And hopefully you've had just a great experience so far being a part of our church. And so we're so glad that you're here today. If you are a guest with us, we would love to meet you after service and follow you to your house and stalk you. And so um, if that's you, uh, we'd just love to say hi to you in the lobby after church on Sunday, um, just to be able to get to know you a little bit better. Well, we continue a series that we're on called Spiritual Mathematics. And this is a series where we're taking different equations, uh, some basic equations, and really coming up with some awesome spiritual truths that we uh, obviously derive from the scriptures. And so if you have a Bible today, I'm going to have you turn to Luke uh, chapter 7 and verse 36 is where we're going to be landing today. Uh, Luke is the third book into the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, and you'll find Luke. If you don't have a Bible, you can obviously see it on the screen here in a little bit. But uh, we, uh, we've been on this series. We've been talking about different equations. The first week we talked about convictions being greater than emotions. And the idea and the truth behind, behind this idea was that we believe that we should be people of convictions. And it's actually convictions are just truths that we hold to, beliefs that we hold to that really are kind of our compass or our true north. And so we talked about how we need to be people of conviction because convictions are what keep you strong and stable, keeping you from not you know, turning to the left or to the right versus at times emotions can tend to lead us down the wrong path. So we talked about that in week one. In week two, we talked about fear plus courage equals faith. We talked about the power of what fear can do in our lives, but what happens when we step out in courage and believe in faith for God to do something, that our faith is increases in those moments. I mentioned a few things from last week that I wanted to mention again, that God is looking for great faith upon the earth, and that great faith is very contagious, that when you're around people who have great faith and believe God for something, it's a contagious Thing. Well, today's equation is a little bit more complicated. Today's equation is hurt minus fixation times grace equals forgiveness. Let me say this one more time on the screen there for you. Hurt minus fixation times grace equals forgiveness. So that's what we're going to be landing on uh, the equation for today. Well, opening story for you. I grew up in a pretty strange family. I mean, I think we all believe we have a strange family, but I think mine was the strangest. Um, I grew up in a, in a crazy fun family, but I was a homeschool kid. I talk a lot about being homeschooled. I was a homeschool kid, never went to real school until my college years, but I grew up in a family where we did a lot of crazy things. But one of the things we did in our family, that's probably a lost art today, is what my parents called family meetings. Anybody, anybody do family meetings in your house? Okay, some. Uh, we grew, I grew up with 
family meetings. And these meetings were really unique and odd. And what happened all the time in my family is my mom and my dad, I grew up with two older brothers, my mom and my dad would, would want to sit us down at different moments in our life and because uh, they had something to say, okay? They felt like God was putting something on their heart and they had something to tell us. Or me and my brothers were just acting like complete idiots destroying each other, and they wanted to deal with that issue as well. And so these family meetings, you know, went something like this. There was always prayer. uh, There was always worship. But it was an opportunity to address hurt, okay? It was an opportunity to address issues. Now, two older brothers, we were crazy. We killed each other. We fought. We fist fought. We, one time my brother threw my head into the fireplace and cracked my skull open. I mean, we were just nuts, okay? My mom decided years ago when we were little that she's just done taking us out in public. She's like, she told me this a few weeks ago, I just came to a point where I just could not take you anywhere in any public place because of the glares and the comments and the ways people would look at me because of how disobedient and rebellious and awful you were as kids. Yeah, for boys! And so, um, but, so we had these family meetings, and, and in these family meetings, um, it was an opportunity for us to, like, address problems and issues with our brothers, you know? So, like, I'd be sitting in the, in the living room, and I'd be, like, crying, because I was the baby, and the baby always cries. And so I was like, I was like, but, you know, Jordan, he, he took my shirt, and he sucks. And my mom's like, we don't use that word in this house. I'm like, okay, he stinks, you know? And, and it was like, I, I hate him, you know? And then, and then, you know, my brother Jordan would be like, you know, I'm sorry for taking your shirt. In the back of my mind, he's like, I'm going to kill you later for bringing that up. But I'm sorry for taking your shirt. Will you forgive me? And I'll be like, yeah, I forgive you, but I don't like you. He's like, okay, come here, let's cuddle. But, like, that was like our family, okay? We just had these, like, family meetings where we would address hurt and, uh, and get de- and deal with our stuff. And sometimes these meetings would go on for hours because there was a lot of hurt happening in our house, okay? A lot of problems in my family with my brothers and I, the way we treat each other. And so... And sometimes it was also like a time to like tattletale on your brother. You know, it's like, um, yeah, mom, did you know that Jordan was hanging out with Jennifer yesterday? And he's like, dude, I'm gonna kill you. You know, it's like it was also a time to like bring things out in the open and make sure everyone knows what's happening in, in our house. But it was, this, it was this thing in our family, as crazy and as strange as it was, it was a thing in my family where we addressed hurt. But every now and then, my, my mom felt like we had to get this hurt out of us. We had to make things right. And so she would bring out the book. And the book is Don't Hold a Grudge. Okay, and you can find this on Amazon today, and I bought it for this sermon. But this is the book that I grew up with as a kid. I'm not going to read the whole book to you. But it was a book that my mom would sit down and read to us, and it was all about, like, holding a grudge. And it's just the funniest thing. Like, I'll just read a couple little um, excerpts of it. One of them says, a grudge wants to belong to you. Grudges like to be held, you know. And we would just be fuming mad at each other as my mom would be reading this. Grudges especially like people who do not forgive quickly. You know them by their complaining about other people. And it goes on and on about how grudges turn into resentment and resentment turns into bitterness and, you know, bitterness when you hold things against people and all this different stuff. But it was this big thing of, you know, don't hold a grudge. Make things right. It's interesting because growing up in that kind of family made me and shaped me to this day where I just don't harbor things. 
I don't hold things against people because of the kind of family I grew up with where we just got things out into the open. See, the point, though, is that it doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. In this life, you and I are going to experience some hurt. It's just a fact of life. People are going to hurt us. Our spouses are going to hurt us. Our kids are going to hurt us. We're going to experience some hurt and some difficulty in our lives, and it cannot be avoided. It doesn't, you know, the little phrase or the rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's such a lie. I mean, sometimes just words and what someone says about you or to you or behind your back can be deeply, deeply hurtful. And the reality of it is, is that we're sinful people who hurt and get hurt. It's just the nature of life. And the issue today is not whether or not you and I will be hurt. The issue is what we will do with that hurt. Because that's a fact of life that you're going to experience some hurt. It's a fact of life that things are going to happen that you don't like, that people are going to rub you the wrong way, and you're going to experience some difficulties and some hurt. Today's equation, hurt minus fixation. So this idea of fixation is basically this. It's an obsessive interest in or feeling about someone or something. See, when you and I experience hurt, we really have two choices. We can, we can dwell on it and fixate on it, and it can consume our thoughts and our minds. And so what happens is, let's say hurt happens. Someone says something, someone does something to you. Immediately, that begins to kind of play on your mind and your thoughts. And if we fixate on it, if we dwell on it, if we let it consume our thoughts and our minds, here's what begins to happen in our thoughts and our minds. I use this as an illustration because I think it's really helpful. Um, How many of you, you love Costco? Come on, raise your hand, you love Costco? Yeah, I love Costco. I went to Costco recently and I had like lunch and dinner. It was awesome, right? Like I love Costco, I love their samples. It's just awesome, you can buy a whole pizza for like a penny, it's amazing, right? And so I love that place, but we all know the area in Costco that you walk by, it's like the deli area and everything they put in there looks amazing. You're like, oh my word, these, these are the best looking fish tacos I've ever seen, you know? Look at that pot pie for 25 cents. I mean, it's ridiculous the kind of stuff that they do. And what is it about Costco that no matter how many times you go there, you always spend way more than you ever want to. You're like, wow, that was $195. You know, it's like, it always happens. But in Costco, as you walk through Costco, there's always the back area where it's like the rotisserie chickens. Come on, somebody, $4.99, are you out of your mind? Big old huge chicken. You're like, this is amazing. I love chicken. I love rotisserie. And if you look in the back, You see this like gigantic thing that's like spinning and there's like all these cool flames and it's like spinning and there's chickens and there's oil and it's like, that's so gross looking, but it tastes so good. You know what I mean? Okay, so I want you to think about that. You'll you'll never be the same after I share this illustration with you, okay? As you see chicken like that, just being roasted on that flame boil thing and it's turning, that's what happens when we fixate on hurt. That's what we do to people. What happens is we put them internally in in a mind of, of, oh, I can't. And and when we fixate and we dwell, we roast them. We we roast them in in our mind. They say one thing that hurt a cause, the fence cause, and all of a sudden, it's like, man, that person is the worst person on the, I can't believe, oh, oh, you wait till I tell. Right? Like, we just do that because our nature is to want to fixate and dwell on 
that hurt. What, what ends up happening is we, we start to think about um, ways we can get back to them. We start thinking about ways we can like slander them, ways that we can talk about them, ways that we can get even with them. All of the things that happen because when we fixate and allow that hurt to take root into our hearts, it ultimately, like the joke of the book, but it ultimately does turn into some type of bitterness, some type of resentment, and, and it is. It's like a grudge. You, you carry it with you. You see that person in the grocery store or you see them at the holidays or you see and you're like, oh, I'm not, you know, you know what I mean? You, you avoid all these different things because we fixate and harbor that hurt. And ultimately, it, it turns into unforgiveness. Ultimately, we, we, we tend to, if we're honest, hold things against people and dwell on them and they take root in our lives and it turns into unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is a big problem in God's economy. In fact, unforgiveness is a big issue in terms of what Jesus had to say about unforgiveness. He had some really hard things to say about unforgiveness. We're going to read in Luke today about a gal who, by all standards, has a lot of issues. Okay, we're going to read about a gal today who's got tons and tons of issues, a laundry list of issues. And we're going to know her not by her name, but by her lifestyle. And it's interesting because when we look at her today, we're going to see the kind of courage and strength that she responded to Christ in. But also we're going to see in comparison the way that some of the Pharisees, specifically a guy by the name of Simon, responds to um, her faith and, and her desire to, to be with Jesus. But this is found in, in Luke 7, 36 through 50. I want you to think about this right before I read here. I want you to think about this kind of thing, that this person has caused a lot of hurt because we all know that sin always causes hurt. And so th this gal has caused a lot of hurt with people in her life and her family. We'll pick it up in verse 36 here. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, listen what Jesus says about her. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has 
loved much, or for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray for God's word today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you today for the power of forgiveness. And I thank you today that it's first found in your son, Jesus, and the cross and the power of your resurrection. I just thank you, Lord God, that your word, the Bible, the scriptures always speaks to us, God. People like Luke, who was a doctor, is speaking, God, and showing us who Jesus was, what he came to do, why he came to do it, God. And so we just thank you once again that your word would speak to all of us in your good name. Amen. So we meet an unnamed woman as Jesus enters Simon's house. And we don't know her name, which would be her identity. We only know that she is a sinner. Now, it doesn't say it in the text, but more than likely, this gal, her lifestyle was a lifestyle of prostitution. That was the kind of sin that she was known for just based on the way the scriptures and based on the way Luke describes her. So we know that she's caused a lot of hurt and a lot of pain with people in her culture in her day. And as we see here, women were treated of lower status, which is why Luke is always promoting women in his gospel, because women were constantly looked down upon. But in this particular story, she takes this great faith and great courage to wash the feet of Jesus, which again, feet in that day were not, you know, boots and nice socks, but basically like an open sandal with animals that traveled on the road. So you can imagine how dirty and nasty the feet were. And it was customary in that culture that whoever was the host or the, the owner, which was Simon in this story, it was customary for them as somebody comes into their home to, to wash their feet with a, a bucket of water and a basin or whatever and to greet them with a kiss and to do this customary things as they enter their home. And what we find here is that Simon is not doing any of those things and there is this gal, this woman, that we only know her by her sin is taking this great faith and this great courage to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and with her long hair. And so there's this contrast between Simon's hospitality and lack thereof and that of this unnamed woman. Jesus gives us this simple, simple parable. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. So what happens is basically Jesus is saying, both people are forgiven, two debts, one larger, one smaller, both are forgiven, which one will love him more? And Simon answers correctly. He says, well, obviously the one that has been forgiven more Will, be for, will, will love more because they recognize how much they've been forgiven. Jesus goes on to say, do you see this woman here? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves 
little. Jesus is using her as an example of how grateful and how honorable she is in her demonstration towards who Jesus is and his power to offer forgiveness. Her love and her hospitality in comparison to Simon's is really unbelievable. Now I want to turn to one more passage of scripture and then I want to offer a lot of different practical advice in terms of unforgiveness and forgiveness. This is Jesus again in Matthew 6, 9 through 14. Again, Jesus had some really hard things to say about forgiveness and unforgiveness. He says, the Lord's Prayer, very famous here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now here's the part that's really difficult. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, that's pretty clear what Jesus has to say about forgiveness. He's basically saying, in the same way that I've offered you forgiveness, I want you to offer it to others. See, Jesus is teaching in both Matthew and Luke that those who know they've been forgiven much will love much. And those who believe they've been forgiven little will love little. And the question Jesus is asking you and I today is, how much has God forgiven you? I want you to think about that just for a minute. How much has God forgiven you? If you think about this gal in this story, it says her sins, which are many. I mean, Jesus even acknowledges that this gal has got a pile of stuff. Okay, it's not like she's got a few little issues. She's got a pile of stuff and Jesus knows that and even describes her as that. But her pile is not too big for Christ and his forgiveness and his grace. And when we think about our own lives, can we even quantify the amount of grace and forgiveness that Jesus has offered us through the cross and the resurrection. I mean, if you start trying to add up how many times we mess up and fall prey to sin, how many times, as the Bible says, we fall short of the glory of God, how many times when we do things we ought not to do, how many times when we feel like God's telling us to do one thing and we do the, I mean, all the, and you start listing and thinking and the pile starts getting bigger for you and I, it's like, wow, man, there's a lot of things that Christ has forgiven me of. it's, It's a pretty laundry list of stuff. Jesus is saying, if you've been forgiven that much, will you now extend that kind of forgiveness to others who wrong you? Hurt minus fixation times grace equals forgiveness. See, it's interesting that we look at something like grace and realize if we're dealing with hurt in our lives and dealing with something that someone has done to us, you and I, if we're honest, know it needs a lot of grace. It can't just be, well, I'm hurt, I fixated on it and I moved on. It has to be a ton of grace in order for forgiveness to happen. 
What I want to do here for the next few moments is I want, to, I want to give some real practical points here about the power of forgiveness. Because I think this is going to help us understand how to deal with forgiveness, how to respond to people with this kind of grace that Jesus is calling us to. If we know we've been forgiven much and he's calling us to now offer that same forgiveness, what does this look like? In the same way that Christ has forgiven you, you should forgive others. Here, here's the how. And if you're taking notes, I think these are really, really strong ones to write down or take down in your notes on your phone. N- number one, keep short accounts. When, when someone has wronged you, hurt you, make it right as quickly as possible. Keep short accounts. I can't tell you how much conflict and pain could be avoided if people just went right to the person or the people or the situation immediately and dealt with the hurt. How much pain and stuff would not be happening in their life if they just kept short accounts with people. Because a lot of times what happens is when we experience hurt and we experience offense, we automatically, like I said earlier, want to quickly think about how to get revenge or hold that against them or not deal with it or, or whatever to avoid the issue. The thing that I learned growing up as a kid in our crazy family meetings is that there was something very powerful. It was a principle my parents were trying to teach us, deal with the issue quickly. Don't, don't let anger, don't let anger, you know, lie down in your bed if you have an offense towards someone. Deal with those things. So we must, if we're going to be people of forgiveness, we must keep short accounts. I can't tell you how many times personally I've had to go to people, whether I was rude, I was inconsiderate, I, you know, uh, offended them in whatever way and just make it right as soon as I heard about the hurt because it helps my heart stay clean before God when I know I don't have issues with others. Keep short accounts. If there's an offense cause, if there's a hurt cause, if something happens, go to that person and make it right as quickly as possible. I got one today. Here's another one for you. Involve as few people as possible. This one we're going to get a riot out of. This, is, this one's always humorous to me. A lot of times what happens is when we experience a hurt, we experience an offense, someone wrongs us, someone does something to us, what we want to do is involve as many people as possible, right? I mean, now in the world of technology and, and social media, not only do we want to involve the few around us, we want to involve the whole world. Oh, did you know that so-and-so said so-and-so and da-da-da-da-da, and now everybody knows what that one person or that one couple or that one group of people did. And a lot of times, if we're honest, as Christ followers, we want to tell everyone and we wrap it in what we call like a prayer request. It's awesome. We're like, you wouldn't believe what she said. Let me tell you what she said. She said this, she said this, she said this, and then she went out and did this, and we should pray for her. Bless her heart. You know what I mean? Like, we like wrap it in a prayer request. Like, we confess everything that person did, every hurt and and issue, and throw them under the bus, and roast them out loud, and then go, man, shouldn't we pray for them? Like, yeah, let's pray for that awful, horrible, despicable person. God, we pray. You know what I mean? You're like, wait a second here. How does that work? But we, we want to involve as few people as possible. 
When, when there's a, an offense and there's a hurt and someone has wronged you and done something, I, I would encourage you, social media is not the place to rant about that. I, I would encourage you calling you know, every you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry and letting them know about what's going on. It's probably not the best place to handle that. The best thing, like I said, point one here, is going to that person. Going directly to that individual and saying, hey, you know, this happened and I got hurt by this. And I, I, I want to, you know, it's, it's that thing. It's, it's involving as few people as possible. The, the, another one here for you. Give people the, the benefit of the doubt when there's little doubt. I read this in a book one time and I'll never forget it. Give people the benefit of the doubt when there's little doubt. If you're going to be a person of true godly grace and you're not going to fixate and you're going to, it's going to lead you to forgiveness, you'll become a person where you offer way more grace than even what's needed. It's like, I know what happened here and they, it, they were all wrong, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt even when there's little doubt. Why? Because the love of God compels you to. Why? Because you, won't, you don't want to be a person of resent and bitterness and anger and revenge and let those things take root in your heart. You want to be free from those things. Can I hear an amen? I mean, you want to be free from those things. Man, this is so good today, Andrew. Thank you. Um, forgiveness is not a one-time act. Okay, these are just some thoughts here about forgiveness. And then I'm going to call you to forgive. Uh, forgiveness is not a one-time act. For, for some, it, it may take time and effort to forgive. And this is always brought up when the topic of forgiveness is brought up. In, in cases of persistent abuse, the best way to forgive someone is to walk away. Can I hear an amen? So we're not asking you to stay under a place of being abused and and complete dysfunction and just hang on because you're called to forgive. Sometimes God calls us actually to walk away. A couple more things here for you I, I want to share about forgiveness. I found this in my study this week, different myths and truths about forgiveness, and I want to just read them out to you. I don't have them on the screen, but if you want these notes, I can always share them with you. But here's a myth. Forgiveness is about the other person. The truth Forgiveness is about you. Another myth. If you forgive someone, you should forget it ever happened. Truth. Forgiveness and forgetting are two very different things. Myth. I can forgive them while still secretly living in bondage to regret and shame for my own failures. Truth. Our ability to give forgiveness is connected to the depth of forgiveness we've received. Myth, forgiveness is a decision, an act of will. Truth, forgiveness is a decision and a process. Myth, refusing to forgive shows I value accountability. Truth, refusing to forgive can mean lusting for revenge and struggling to trust God to do the best thing. Myth, forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. Truth, forgiveness and reconciliation are very different things. Myth, I need to tell the person I forgave them. Truth, you don't necessarily need to tell them you forgave them. 
See, it's interesting because sometimes we take on hurt and offense. Hi, beautiful. Sometimes we take on hurt and offense from people and they have no idea that they've caused hurt and offense. So then we go to them and say, hey, I just want to make sure you know that you did and this and that and da, da, da. And they're like, huh? Like, I didn't even, I didn't even know. And so sometimes we don't even need to tell the person. Sometimes we just have to be willing to tell ourselves that we forgive them. Lastly, myth, forgiveness is something I can do on my own. Truth, we need help processing the pain and letting go. It's interesting because in the story that we read today, Jesus ends his little conversation with this gal by saying, your faith has saved you, now go in peace. It's interesting because if you and I sit here today and want to offer the kind of forgiveness that Christ has offered us, it first starts with understanding how much Christ has forgiven us. It's recognizing today, I have been forgiven. It's recognizing today that Christ died in my place for my sins. It's recognizing today that if it wasn't for what Christ did in my life all these years ago, I would not be who I am today. And so if you will, just for a moment, just bow your heads with me as we close our time together today. I want to give you an opportunity. I don't assume everyone in here knows Christ. I don't assume everyone in here is a follower of Christ. And so if you're here today and you would say, you know, the first step, my first step is to accept the forgiveness that Jesus has offered me. You may sit here today and, and even be familiar or, or thinking about the way that Jesus described this gal. That maybe for you, uh, your, your sins are many. Maybe you feel that way today, that your sins are many and there's just so many things and you feel like those can't be forgiven. I'm here to tell you there is no sin too great, no sin too big for the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and say, you know, I want to accept Christ as my Savior, my Lord. The book of Romans teaches us, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, you shall be saved, you shall be forgiven. And I think forgiveness first starts with accepting that Christ has forgiven you of everything you've done. That you can be a new person in Christ Jesus. And so if you're here and you say, you know, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I want to be forgiven. I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. I just want to pray for you. You want Christ as your Lord and Savior. Thank you so much. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? You want to be forgiven today with that one hand. Anyone else? Thank you, man. Got you. Two hands. Anyone else? Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Four hands. Anyone else with these four hands? Awesome. If you raised your hand, I'm just going to have you pray a simple prayer with me. You're just going to say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I accept your forgiveness in my life. And secondly, if you're here today 
something. You've been harboring something towards someone. So, something you've been you've been taking some hurt and turning it into resentment or bitterness. There, there's unforgiveness in your heart. There's some stuff there. And you need to be for be able to let go. You, you want to be able to let go of that. You want to be able to forgive. You want to be able to move past that today. You want to give it over to God and say, Lord, I'm choosing to forgive today. I'm not choosing to fixate anymore. I'm, not, I'm choosing to completely surrender it to you, God, and to forgive because of the grace that you've offered me. If that's you, you've been, you've been harboring something. You know what it is. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you what that is. If that's you, I'm just going to have you just lift up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, hands everywhere. Hands all over the place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me pray for these hands. God, I thank you today that because we have been loved much and because we have been forgiven much, you call us to love and forgive that same way. And so today, God, we just acknowledge with every hand in this place, we acknowledge the hurt. We acknowledge the pain. But Lord, we turn it over to you right now. We surrender it all to you. We're gonna let go. We're gonna forgive. We're gonna make it right. We wanna be people, God, that no longer harbor things, God. We wanna give people the benefit of the doubt when there's little doubt. We wanna show them your love and your grace and your mercy because of what you've done for us. And so I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that that unforgiveness would be broken over every person whose hand is lifted up here. For some, God, the person could even be passed away. They could even no longer be here. And they're still holding on to that thing. I pray today, God, that you would give them that strength and that courage to even forgive a loved one or a person who's no longer even here anymore. And I thank you, Jesus, for the grace that you offer us. And we praise you for it. In your good name, everyone said, amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.